Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm speaking again with Laura Vanderkam, author of the book, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. In fact, we talked about that and what the most successful people do at work, do during lunch, and even do on the weekend. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you can go to beyondthetodolist.com slash 43. Before we get into this week's conversation, I want to say thank you to the Art of Charm podcast for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. The Art of Charm podcast is an iTunes top 50 podcast packed with wisdom, talking with people on topics about how to create confidence, how to get people to like and trust you, how to keep things fresh in relationships in productivity, time management, etc. You'll hear more about that later in the episode. To find the Art of Charm podcast, go to theartofcharmpodcast.com or search for The Art of Charm podcast in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, I am privileged to once again speak with Laura Vanderkam. Laura, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So I was just checking in iTunes. I typed in your name just to see what else you'd been, what other shows you've been on since you were on mine. And uh, funny enough, when I typed your name in and went to podcasts, my episode with you was actually the most popular episode that you've been on. That's in iTunes. So. <laughs> Wonderful! That's so I was exciting. like, oh yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice surprise there. So that episode was almost two years ago. And we talked about what successful people do before breakfast, during lunch, even at work on the weekend and a lot more. So everybody should go. I'll put that episode link in the show notes. But you've spent the last two years on this new book. And I'm fascinated, to be honest, um, of how you even got this book out there, especially with a new kid. So the new book is called I Know How She Does It. Subtitle, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time. You were already going about this theme of 160 hours in the week, or sorry, 168 hours in the week. That'd be nice to get your get another extra eight hours in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and 
doing time logging. And so you studied time logs of a number of women over the course of a thousand and one days. So just under three years. And you had some certain stipulations for, for which women you were choosing. What was that? Well, I was studying women who earned six figures, so they had big jobs, um, and who also still had kids at home. So really this demographic of people who you might talk about having it all, whatever that means, um, but, but these were people who met at least one definition of that. Okay. And, and I assume that the idea behind why you chose woman is, one, you are one, and, and you wanted to study this to learn for yourself, obviously. But then also there's that – I don't know, myth or fallacy or whatever it is that because women are the ones that have the children, that they're the ones that it's – if they want to have success in the workplace and family and all of the other roles in their life, they have more of the roles than than men do to a certain extent, you know? Yeah, I found that um, – I mean people have asked me this, well, why don't you study fathers? I mean why – and it's a good question. I found that um, – even women who are succeeding a lot at the workplace um, still often are comparing their involvement at home to a sort of idealized sense of what they think a stay-at-home mother would do, that that's their comparison. Mm. Um, and so consequently, there's this push to do a lot at home still um, in a way that I think men don't feel that same pressure necessarily. Um, and and one could view that from a negative perspective, but from a pr- positive perspective, I mean, women in this position still really want to spend a lot of time with their families. And because they have both demanding jobs and want to spend a lot of time with their families, um, you wind up seeing some fascinating ways of moving around time and, and constructing a life where you can fit a lot in. And so I found that fascinating, and that's why I wanted to discover to study it. Now, was there a certain reason that you chose that financial number of that, you know, making at least 100000 a year or more? Well, it's a good round number. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but it's also, um, I mean, it's a number that indicates that, uh, I mean, you're – whatever you're doing, you are a financial success in that sense. Um, you can support a family well on your own, whatever any other adults in your household choose to do. Um, and it's actually fairly rare among among working women. Um, only about 4% of uh, employed women in the U.S. at least um, earn over that amount. So um, it's it's a rarefied group. Yeah. And I think some people, you know, to play devil's advocate for a second, somebody's listening and saying, 100000 a year, I don't make that. So I would imagine that somebody who's making more money than me can uh, pay to have some shortcuts, you know, with extra this or that or, you know, structured activities for kids or, you know, daycare, different different things like that. How do you respond to that? Well, of course. I mean, I would entirely buy that um – Life is harder to balance if you have a job that doesn't allow you a whole lot of extra resources. Um, also a job that you maybe don't have as much control of your time because that is the interesting thing. Um, women in these, these big jobs did have a fair amount of autonomy and flexibility, which comes partly with being higher up the ladder and things like that. Um, but what I find interesting is that so much of this conversation has been about the idea that women can't have it all, that it's, it's always looking at these big jobs, these high paying jobs that are supposedly um, out of reach for women because the, of the supposed harsh trade-offs this will require on the home front. And I wanted to argue that maybe that wasn't the case. Um, curiously, 
uh, I found, you know, that that other side of the argument that, of course, it's easy to have it all if you earn a lot of money because you can just outsource everything um, was not 100 percent true in women's lives. Um, I was amazed how many women did not take advantage of their affluence to the degree that they might have um, in order to make their lives easier. Yeah, I, and I think that's that whole when you when you say the word affluence, and and I think of kids, and and even it comes to mind some of the time my wife and I when we've been watching. I don't know if you are a fan of Downton Abbey at all, but uh, um, we're watching it and we're like, man, the life of the nanny watches the kid all day, and then you come in and you say, okay, they bring them, bring the kids in, <laughs> bring the kids to me, yes, yes, exactly. it's just, oh my gosh, like that's not the world we live in now where. It, ha, part of having it all, in other words, is having those relationships with those close-knit family members. Which is why it's fascinating that women um, compare themselves to it, – it's a very certain idealized version of a very certain point in time where um, there might be intense mothering uh, but also women not being in the workforce. I think it's about like five years of the Ozzy and Harriet era that somehow <laughs> – has, has become the uh, dominant image for us because, yes, I mean, certainly um, parents' interactions with children was very different to even, you know, 100 years ago or something like that. Yeah. Well, these days, I mean, one of the best ways to, to look at what the reality is of what we're doing, and, and you've been a proponent of this, is to log your time and to capture that data because it doesn't have a, a bias or a narrative to it. Yeah, I am a big fan of data. Um, <laughs> it's just so much of the literature on women and work and life is entirely based on anecdote. Um, and I get that. I mean, stories have great power. We all like to read stories. And, and certainly in my book, I talk a lot about stories. I tell stories um, because I do find them interesting. But Stories are often not the whole story. Um, it is very easy to construct a story out of a few stressful moments uh, and to string them together and to come to an epiphany that life is unsustainable. Life must change. But in the whole of time, there are stressful moments, to be sure. There are also not stressful moments. And we can choose to see those not stressful moments and to construct a narrative of them. But we don't because that's just not as interesting. It's not, you know, the dark stuff is darkly entertaining. And so that's why we like to look at it. Yeah, you have to have drama for a story to be worth telling. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but hopefully what I've done with this book is is introduce some more data into this question. That I studied 1,001 days in the lives of women who earn six figures and often have, also have kids and looked at when they worked, when they slept, uh, how much they did each, um, how much housework and errands, when they read, when they exercised, uh, watched TV, all these things. And, and so I could come up with a more holistic picture of what life really looks like for professional women and their families. Yeah, it's almost as if there was a – there's the actual data of what is happening. There's that ideal of what you wish was happening. And then there's even the acknowledgement that there is no – there are no perfect days. No, there are no perfect days. And I, I saw so many different uh, kinds of lives in these logs. And, and certainly people were, uh, in some cases, more harried than others. Um, but because these women did have demanding careers and also had families they wanted to spend time with, they came up with fascinating strategies for making everything fit into the 168 hours we all have each week. And I think that those strategies can be useful for anyone who wants to have a full life, I mean, whether you're a woman or a man, whether you have children or don't have children, no matter what kind of job you're in. Well, and I think one of the most interesting things as I was looking at this was these 
standard or, or the myth again of these standard work hours of, you know, 8 a.m. to 5 or 6 in the evening and how do you fit it all in in that time that, that your work at least and then then how do you cram in family and husband and except and then where do you do the chores and it's just it, it it's it doesn't fit it doesn't all fit but it does if you look at it in terms of 168 hours or as as you did with uh the 672 hour challenge that you did yourself you you really get a better picture of what is happening and and how to move towards that more ideal scenario. Yeah, we often fall into what I call the 24-hour trap, um, which is thinking that all components of our life need to fit into the 24 hours of a day in order for us to be balanced or um, happy or anything like that. And I think that a 24-hour time period is just way too limited to have a, a real sense of our life. I mean, we live our lives in cycles of weeks. Um, so a week is a very good period of time to look at to see where you're fitting things in. But sometimes um, things don't necessarily even happen weekly, but still happen relatively frequently in our lives. And that's what I found by tracking my time for four weeks um, for my 672-hour challenge. I found that, uh, you know, it's just because stuff doesn't happen at the same time every week, you know, doesn't mean it's not part of my life. I was getting together with friends, for instance, a lot more than I thought I was. Uh, I don't have a regular time that I always get together with friends, but over the course of a month, it definitely happened. Well, let's talk about that. How did those categories of, let's see here, we've got work and family time and... Uh, what well sleep obviously, which <laughs> which I still don't understand how you <laughs> again how did you track your time and have a, a new kid he's he's what now uh, like six almost months? five months five almost months. five months he was born in January okay. So. So luckily, I think you you had the book completely done before he was born, correct? <laughs> For the most part. I mean, humorously, um, they were turning around uh, copy edits to me in early January, and uh, my my publisher sent them to me sort of one day later than I thought they were going to. And I was trying to emphasize to them that at this point, one day really mattered. <laughs> the yeah. baby was coming any day. Uh, but uh, we, we got the book out. The book is done. Uh, and for the most part, it was it was finished before he arrived. So you're logging – let's walk through your journey a little bit here. This this 672-hour challenge, which like you said, is is four weeks. It's one month. It's – and again, breaking it down into a week really makes a lot more sense than um, you know looking at our daily dose of, oh, no, I didn't get my daily dose of insert here, so I'm a horrible person, um, <laughs> especially with sleep. That's yeah. one of those things where it, it can stack up, but – once in a while, you know, especially with kids, especially with new kids, I should say. I've lived through that, but not as much as my wife did. Um, talk about that a little bit. The sleep part of it, especially when you have a new child and looking at it, I mean, it, it, looking at it as a daily thing versus looking at it as a weekly thing. Yeah. So, I mean, any night with small children can be horrible. Uh, it's it's kind of like you've got a um, – negative jackpot. Uh, you might, you might pull the, the bad night, uh, at some point, but you know, often over the course of a week, it's, it's relatively reasonable. You have a bad night, you have a good night, you have a bad night, you have two more reasonable nights, uh, you take a nap. Uh, and, and, and so it starts to get to a more reasonable number. And I certainly found this with my time, um, and, and even the worst night I had in the 672 hour challenge was in no way the fault of my baby. I was in a hotel when, when I had my worst, worst night of that. Um, but I could see that for the most part, I was sleeping between seven and eight hours a night. Um, 
the there were a couple nights that were shorter than six and a half hours and there was that one night that was four and a half hours but for the most part it was between seven and eight hours and I found that with um, my, my study of, of professional women and their families too is that most people were sleeping between seven and eight hours per day um, there were bad nights but they were they were limited um, it was about 19 percent of the nights in or days I guess in in the study were um, fewer than seven hours of sleep uh, only about less than four percent were fewer than six hours uh, so it really does come out to about once a month you have a horrible night um, and then maybe once or twice a week you have a not really great night um, but the most part you know people will get enough sleep not everyone but a lot of people and I think that was very encouraging to see well and that touches on really one of the key things I found from the book is this perspective of uh, putting putting the bad day in context of what's actually happening just because something is it doesn't just because you're not getting a good night's sleep all the time doesn't mean that it's not happening yeah, I mean, I like to think of it as looking at life as a mosaic. Um, you know, there are some tiles that are going to be stressful, but there's a lot of other tiles too. And we tend to focus on the stressful ones and construct our story of that. Um, but if we don't go for that narrative format, if we just sort of accept it as it is, uh, then we can see the other parts too. I mean, you don't have to draw a conclusion from any given bad day. I mean, you can just say that was a miserable day, such as the human condition. (laughs) There is nothing to be gained from studying that, changing that, anything else. We just accept that as it is. Yeah. Well, going back to sleep, how would you say you're still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond 
um, challenge compared to your findings for the other women in the book? So I think it was overall fairly similar. I mean, I, I, my proportion of bad nights uh, to decent nights was actually fairly similar to the study as a whole. I probably sleep a little bit less, but again, that's part of having a, a five-month-old uh, baby, and I also probably have relatively lower sleep needs than than some other people. But uh, you know, I, I find that many people work reasonable hours, um, longer than forty hours uh, in my study, but it was not around the clock either, um, and and so that was that was heartening to see. And I've tried to do that in my own life. I, I try to work reasonable hours um, to to work enough to move my career forward, but not around the clock either. I want to take a quick break here to let you know that this podcast is supported by the Art of Charm podcast. The Art of Charm podcast is an iTunes top 50 podcast. It's packed with wisdom in the truest sense of the word from many different topics, including how to create confidence, how to get people to like and trust you, networking, relationships, productivity, time management. And it's fun and funny and educational at the same time. It's personal growth without being boring. It's a show about truly leveling up your life and relationships, friendships, at work, at home, everywhere. And the show offers meaningful, fun, life-changing insights with a practical edge so that you can apply something right out of the box every show. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to theartofcharmpodcast.com or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. A lot of people are working from homes or coffee shops or um, offices that they're paying to be in that are not, you know, it's a co-working space, different setups like that. And yet still we've got this mentality of, for the most part, we're still breaking out of the eight to five or six in the you know evening time slot. Yet sometimes we can feel like, you know, when we look at the raw data, I'm, I feel like I'm putting in all these hours, but on data or on paper, it's like, wow, I really haven't been working as much as I thought. <laughs> I certainly had this. I, I felt one week that I was doing work at night and on the weekends, and yet I was clawing to even get to 40 hours. And that's partly because my time at work um, out of my home office would keep getting interrupted. Uh, you know, again, having the, the baby, um, various other kid events, um, preschool events, or um, taking my oldest child to the bus stop or anything else like that. Um, and I want to do those things, but the reality is that they do eat into work time. And so then I wind up finishing stuff at night and on the weekend. And when you're working at night and on the weekend, it feels like you're always working sometimes. But looking at the data, I can see that that's absolutely not the case. I'm, I'm not really working particularly lengthy hours. But this this work-life integration concept um, that work can happen at any time and life can happen at any time uh, is, is kind of a profound one. It's definitely been a shift in the way people are working. And I think for the most part, it's a good thing. Uh, some people don't like it. And if you don't like it, feel free to set very strict boundaries on, on when you're willing to do work. That's that's totally fine. But for many women in particular, um, there are a lot of things that happen in the life side of, of your existence um, that are going to just happen between eight and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are kids' school events. There are doctor's appointments. Um, you know, it may be a time that you could go volunteer somewhere. And these are things that people want to do. And if you said you could only do work between eight and five, then in order to do those things, you'd either have to work much less 
um, or and accept that your career wouldn't go anywhere. But if you can do work at other points, then you can work the hours necessary to advance your career and also have those life things too. So it means that you don't have to choose. And I think that that is a good thing. Um, and I understand that people sometimes don't want to work on weekends. They don't want to work on nights and that's totally fine. But if you are willing to do that, you may find a lot more possibilities in terms of having a full existence. Yeah. I know that, um, some of my audience, they ask questions like this where they say, I'm already engaged full time at home. I've got this new thing I'm wanting to start up or try, but how do I fit that in? And I'm like, you don't fit it in. You, you literally have to make the extra time for it. And you can't, in other words, you can't, and you can't create new time. You have to <laughs> fit it in. In other words, in those, those other hours. Exactly. And, and you can always tell from people's language, like I'm trying to find the time for this. It's like, well, you know, then you're not really that committed to it, which is totally cool. But uh, if you are, then it's not about finding time. It's about making time and, and putting it in first and trusting that the rest of life will fit in around it. Yeah. And obviously, you know, this whole making up hours in the evening or you know, either during time that kids are awake but can be occupying themselves or after they're asleep and then, you know, you're you're up late in the evening – how does that or how do women effectively work during that time but then not have, you know either take too much caffeine or ruin ruin their sleep by staying up that late well it has to be handled carefully uh you know this is just because people are working uh, versus other things you could be doing with that late night slot. I got to say very few people use their late night slot. Well, uh, there's plenty of people who put the kids down, turn on the television and mm-hmm. like look up three hours later. And, and you know, it's not anything they particularly enjoyed. It's just what was there. And, well, and, and some even have their laptop in front of them while the TV's going, yeah, thinking they're working and they're not. Um, it's, it's very hard to, to do that. I would suggest that, um, working is not necessarily a worse thing to do with that time than, than the uh, web surfing or watching TV that often happens during that time. So what, what women were doing is making the trade-off of what could have been TV time and working with it instead of trading off kid time for working. And so that was one of the ways they, they made it all fit. But if you're going to do that, I have learned to do this myself of creating an actual to-do list for the evening shift. Um, because you know, once you acknowledge that you're going to be working during that time, well, then it's a work slot and it should be planned. And if you don't, then you will either waste the time or think you will do a lot more than you will ever get to. Uh, you know, but I'm going to get through this thousand email backlog <laughs> between 8.30 and 10 tonight. It's like, no, you will not. You will not. And so that's either going to make you stay up way too late or make you feel frustrated. But instead you say, well, these are the five emails that must be responded to by tomorrow morning. This is the one um, bit of paperwork that needs to be done. I'm going to do those things and then I'm going to log off and uh, relax for a while to wind down before bed. Yeah. So I think what I hear you saying is that it makes sense to look at that evening shift as a a time block where, yeah, yeah you're probably or potentially not going to work as well because it's later in the evening and you're, you know, your willpower is almost gone for the day at that time. But that if you look at it from a task, a task perspective as well as a time slot perspective, you can pick the right thing. And and if you really know yourself, you'll know what you should be doing at that time. Yeah. I mean, I can't write articles very well in the evening time slot. I can edit them 
or I can respond to emails or think about who my sources should be for an article I'm writing. So those are all things I can do during that slot. Gotcha. And what about how, you know, maybe using that time as planning for the next morning? Because I know there's there's all those studies that say, you know, your willpower is strongest first thing in the morning. Have you found that women are really taking advantage of that morning time? Well, certainly ones who were feeling uh, productive often did. Uh, I mean, to be included in this study, you simply had to meet the income criteria and have kids. You could feel like your life was a total mess and still meet that definition of success. So it wasn't that everyone was uber productive and was amazing about every minute of their time. And in fact, many people were not. And they would admit that on their time logs. They would say horrible, unproductive hour of internet time warp. I mean, somebody wrote that on their log. (laughs) Um, So, so, Everyone was not massively efficient with with every minute. Um, But that said, many people did come up with strategies just through the sheer necessity of having all this stuff going on in their lives. They did come up with strategies to be more effective. And certainly planning the day before you're in it is just so important for making sure that you don't waste that first bit of willpower and energy you have when you get to work and you're ready to go. Um, So... Thinking, you know, if, if you're not working at night, uh, you can certainly do this, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon before you leave work. Plan what you intend to do the next day. What are your top three priorities for the next day? Um, hopefully not just the day-to-day stuff, but the, the big picture as well. And if you did those three things tomorrow, tomorrow would be a great success. So you could certainly do that before leaving work in the afternoon. Uh, you could do it at night during that time after the kids go to bed as well. One of the other things that I think people would be saying is, you know, if they have questions about this method is, um, but what about if I'm working all day and then I get home and I spend time, quality time even, where I'm not checking my phone and I'm not checking email and, you know, we have quote unquote dinner together and then I, you know, put the kids down and then I'm going to work, but I'm exhausted because I've not really taken real breaks throughout the day. Yeah, it's important to nurture yourself too. And I mean, that's one reason I was so heartened to see that women were getting enough sleep. Um, A shocking percentage were exercising. I saw exercise in about 90% of the logs, um, which I felt was amazing. I mean, I think any random survey would not find that (laughs) of of people. Um, And and I think partly it is about managing your energy in order to have um, the ability to put in long hours and be present for your children as well. Um, So sometimes people would, uh, you know, doing that work at night and on the weekends wasn't always just about having family time. It was also making space for, say, taking a yoga class at lunch or leaving work a little early so you could go for a run before daycare pickup. Um, That was a way that people were using time that was available to them for these physical care things and then still being able to make up the work time at a different point. And keeping in mind that, again, going back to that perspective of this isn't something where you're doing that evening shift of work items or tasks every night, but maybe doing it two to three times a week and seeing that that moves the needle forward on those things um, from a weekly perspective, not a daily perspective. Yeah. And this is the thing people tell me. They're like, oh, it sounds so bleak to be working every night. And when do you see your spouse and all this other stuff? I think I see very few people do this on Friday night, mm-hmm. on Saturday night. Um, you know, so right there, there's two nights per week that people aren't doing it. 
Uh, and I saw very few people do it actually the other five nights, either Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Usually people would take at least one off um, or, or do one that was much shorter than, than the other. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it winds up balancing out over the course of a week. And even if you weren't working that during that time, I mean, many people don't necessarily spend as much quality time with their spouse at night as they could. A lot of people are just, uh, both sitting on the couch watching TV and right. not interacting in any case. Well, and that's actually something else that, uh, I've seen you talk about, which is these in-home date nights. Yeah, that, I mean, especially if you have little kids, it is such a good idea to have that connection. Uh, you know, if you are working at night, that's great, but maybe Friday and Saturday night, you decide to make yourselves a fancy dinner at how in the house after the kids go to bed and, um, enjoy each other's company during that time. And obviously, yeah, you want to try to go out sometimes, but getting a sitter is often a hassle. Um, you know, it, it's just, it takes a level of energy that we don't necessarily always have. And so if you set that up as, you know, in order for it to be date night, we have to get a sitter and then go out to this restaurant and go out for a a theater thing. I mean, you know, you probably won't do it that often, but if it's just about carving out time where you can connect with your partner, that's a very different matter. Yeah. It's one of those extra ways that you can, you know, turn off all, you know, turn off the TV. Don't just sit there on the couch, but instead, you know, kids are down and you're having a a late night special meal and you're sitting in the same space and actually looking at each other versus phones or screens or whatever. And, and actually having adult conversation. Yes. Adult conversation (laughs) is good. Uh, and, and, and if you can, one of the really smart strategies I saw is that people would schedule, um, administrative time separately from date night time, because that way you're not having your entire date night discussion be about now, am I getting the kids on Thursday? Are you getting the kids on Thursday? Well, that strikes that actually brings up a really interesting question where I've had a conflict with this myself is this whole idea of family time versus the business of running the family, Mm. you know, where you've got you want to spend time with the kids, but at the same time or, you know, have relationship. But at the same time, there's also these chores or things about getting certain people to certain places or certain tasks around the home that need to be fixed or tidied or whatever. And how does that dimension add into what we're already talking about? Well, I'm certainly trying to figure that out myself right now. I mean, I have four children and a certain volume of time is just consumed by figuring out who needs to be where and who's got what going on and, um, you know, just crowd control. (laughs) And that's not necessarily the most, uh, meaningful and fulfilling part of, of parenting. And obviously it has to be done. Uh, the good news with having so many of them is they all have relationships with each other. So I, I don't have to be the only source of, of interaction. Uh, but I am trying to find just small moments here and there to not just do the administrative stuff and not just the crowd control, but try to play with them and read with them. Um, and, you know, tell one kid, okay, you're going to wait 10 minutes and then you will have my full attention. And in the meantime, this other child will have my full attention for 10 minutes. And, you know, sometimes they're better at that than others, but right. we're working on it. Yeah. Cause again, it's, it's not always ideal. It's not always ideal, but one way or another, you, you muddle through. Um, going back to this idea of sleep and then tying it around to this 
self uh like what's the best way to put it? i know you you speak about basically me time but you have a different it's investing in yourself or, or nurturing yourself nurturing yeah. yourself yes and i see sleep as nurturing myself but then it's hard sometimes to convince myself that it is because i want to stay up because nobody else is around and i get to do you know whatever i want and yet i really need the sleep how do yeah. you balance that well that's the thing it is it work um Sleep and me time are, are often at odds with each other because, yes, it is quiet and that late night time and you want to have that me time. Um, and that can make you stay up a lot later than, than you should. I think what we need to realize is just everyone wants a certain quantity of enjoyable, autonomous time in their lives. And the question is, how are you going to build that in? And so if your only option is late at night, then it's understandable by why you do that. But maybe then sometimes something else about life needs to change, um, whether it's taking longer breaks during the workday and doing something actually fun during that time. Um, then you have that autonomous time uh, during the day, and so then you don't need as much at night. Or um, sometimes people feel the need to pick up the whole house uh, after the kids go to bed, and then they'll have their me time. It's like, well, you know, Maybe just cut cut that housework time short a little bit and recognize that it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, the toys will just come out again the next morning. So instead, seize that time and, and start your me time right away after they go down instead of putting it off till everything is done. Yeah, because I think that there's this myth that you know moms are so busy, especially successful moms, and so they don't get any me time. And that wasn't the case. I mean, I wouldn't say that people got as much me time as they wanted, <laughs> but um, – you know, everyone had some leisure time and, and some people were very good about seizing time. There's one woman I write about in, in the chapter on leisure who uh, would get up early and go work out. And that was her some of her me time. Um, she took a few breaks during the day. But then another thing she did at night, you know, she was responsible for getting the baby to bed. Her husband was responsible for getting their three-year-old to bed. The three-year-old would sometimes take a little bit longer. And so rather than kind of waiting around for that to be done, uh, they lived in New York, and so she'd just go around the corner to like the nail salon, get get her nails done, uh, you know, and and then come back and and watch TV or do whatever else she was going to do. But it it was just a way to get that concentrated me time um, that I think most people wouldn't think about doing. I mean, granted, most of us don't have a, a nail salon around the corner because we're not living in Manhattan. But if you there's other things you could do. I mean, often. If I'm waiting for the kids to go down, I'm, I'm sorting through the mail pile. It's like, well, just go pick up a book instead. And you can take this time instead of chopping it up. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, – you know that, that idea of chopping it up sometimes works really well for certain chores and maybe not others. And so you can feel less overwhelmed when finally the kids are all down and perhaps you want to have me time or uh, do, a, do a work shift. But you feel like you can't because – Look at this place, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, part of, I think, learning to lower your standards on that um, is, is a great idea. And, and if it's important enough to you, then you can maybe find the resources to get help on that front. Yeah. Or get help in another way. <laughs> get help in another way. Exactly. Uh, well, we're talking a lot about moving from where things are now and taking a good look at where they are now first off, but then also moving them to that ideal. Do you have any kind of all-encompassing extra perspective on how to shift to that maybe from a daily to a weekly perspective on these things? So 
I think that, um, I mean, keeping track of your time is just a valuable exercise for anyone. I encourage any of your listeners who haven't tried it yet to try logging your time for a week. I think you'll be surprised um, at, at what you discover. Uh, it's not about finding out how much time we waste. I mean, we all waste time, but it's about often challenging narratives we have of our lives. And I had a number of women tell me that they used to feel guilty about certain things, like how much time they were spending with their children. And then after keeping track of their time for a week, they kind of realized that they were spending copious quantities of time around their children. And that, that eased some of the guilt. They realized, oh, well, I could go to the gym if I wanted to go to the gym. Um, so that's, that's an upside of, of keeping track of your time. Uh, but after you've done this, uh, you look at it and you say, well, what do I like most about my time? What do I like most about my schedule? Because probably there's something and that's worth celebrating. Uh, we, we build our lives and we don't often give ourselves credit for the things we are doing well. Um, but then asking what you want to do more of with your time. I find that this is the most important question. Um, when we think about time management, we tend to think about saving time here and there. But it's a better question to ask what you're saving that time for. Uh, what is there in your life that you'd like to scale up or that you're not doing that you'd currently like to do more of? And then you find a way to put that in, make the time for it. And then magically, the other stuff, the stuff that you don't care about as much, starts taking less space. Nice. That is a great place to land on. If you've enjoyed listening to this conversation and it sparked some hey, I need to get on this, thoughts in your brain, where can people go to get the book and do a deeper dive? Well, I know how she does it. I know how she does it is available at all major retailers. So um, just pick your favorite one. Nice. Uh, and you're welcome to come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. Uh, I have a bunch of resources there. I blog close to daily about time management topics and career, life, family, um, my own parenting journey, uh, which sometimes goes better than others. <laughs> so hopefully people will find that interesting. Um, and I also have things there like a, a time log uh, template that you can you can subscribe to as well. So I'd love to have your listeners come visit me. Awesome. Laura, it's been awesome talking with you. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Laura for coming back on the show and talking with us even more in depth about not just necessarily what successful women do, but what successful people do, or I guess I would say what successful families do. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. In fact, I can guarantee you I will listen to this episode personally at least one or two more times. To go to the show notes for this episode, go to beyondthetodolist.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know in iTunes by giving us a rating or a review. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes. And thank you again to the Art of Charm podcast for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Remember, you can go listen to interesting, funny, witty conversations from an iTunes Top 50 podcast on all sorts of different topics such as productivity, time management, relationships, confidence, and more. Go to the Art of Charm podcast in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts or go directly to theartofcharmpodcast.com. Thanks again for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.
Beyond the To Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.